Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to our live stream. Sorry about that. Um, I got to be honest, I did not expect uh, to be doing this this morning. Uh, our power's out at the church, so we're having to um, just shift a little bit and do a live stream. Um, so, uh, so I would invite you uh, to grab a cup of coffee, uh, grab your Bible, uh, and we're going to just uh, do a study this morning of Malachi. Uh, we've been doing that. Um, last week we started this new series called Fresh Faith, um, and it's a series on Malachi. Uh, so John started it off last week by studying uh, chapter 1. This week we're going to study chapter 2. Uh, so I would invite you to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. i got to be honest, uh, today's uh, message will be quite challenging for us. Uh, actually, there will be a number of challenges uh, for us this morning as we take a look at, at uh, this week's message. And if you notice, the title of this week's message is Marriage God's Way. So there are a number of challenges as we look at marriage this morning for our message. And I want to I just talk about those challenges, see them what they are, and then sort of move forward from there. Uh, the first challenge I think we have uh, is the one that's sitting here to speak. <laughs> If you haven't noticed, uh, I'm a young person. I'm not very old. No matter what the youth group used to tell me, I'm not that old. I've only been married for five years. Uh, why don't you take a moment and just comment? Like, how many years have you been married? Uh, I think that would be a really good thing for us to do. Some of you have great-grandchildren that are older than the amount of years I've been married. Like, I'm young. I'm such a young husband that I still think I'm right sometimes. That's how young I am. I actually saw this great life hack uh, from my father-in-law uh, that uh, was just so good. And it was so funny, but it was a great reminder. Uh, we went to this marriage conference. And after the marriage conference, uh, we went back to the hotel. Uh, and uh, Raquel's mom wanted some water. And uh, my father-in-law said, well, there's water in the hotel room. And she said, well, I don't want that tap water. And so we go to the food court area, and uh, there's this big jug of water there, and she starts to fill her cup. And like an inexperienced husband, I say, well, I think that's the same water. And Raquel's dad turns to me and goes, shh. Like, that's experience right there. He, he was not planning to drive somewhere to get water, and I just found that to be um, so funny and such, a, such an indicator to me how inexperienced I am. Um, I say that jokingly, and all kidding aside, I'm not coming at this message about marriage as somebody who's got it figured out. Um, I certainly don't. don't. I am not an expert on this topic, but I, I simply want to just present to you what's, what God has to say about, about marriage. Marriage, God's way, not Jeremy's way. The second challenge we have is that this topic can be rather painful for some people. And when I say painful, I'm specifically talking about when a marriage is dissolved or divorce happens. Uh, that, is, that is the topic we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. And most of us would have close friends or family um, in our lives that have gone through this 
thing, even if it's not ourselves. Many of us have experienced the difficulty of this issue. And we even talked about it briefly in an elder board meeting, and you could just feel the weight of the topic of marriage and divorce. Like, it's a heavy topic. You know, the Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, how do you separate flesh from flesh? Well, it usually requires a knife. And it usually is painful. And it usually causes bleeding. It's difficult. And many of us have experienced the pain of this in a symbolic way of the the separating of flesh from flesh. And bleeding happens. It's difficult. It's hard. So that will be a challenge as we talk about this topic. And the third challenge is that the Bible is not really vague about divorce. And before you label me a heretic, hear me out, um, I'm not looking for some sort of loophole, but sometimes truth is hard and it isn't really good news. Now, Jesus as the good news, as truth, Jesus as truth is always good news. But if you come home from a long day and your mom or your wife tells you your dog died, that isn't really good news. And in the same way, what God speaks through the book of Malachi, especially what we're studying today, it does not really feel like good news. And it will be a challenge for us this morning. And, and so I want to see us um, take these three challenges and sort of move on from them. Like we, we understand that they're there. We see them for, for what they are. And let's just, let's just dive into studying the Bible. I hope we can do that this morning. Uh, John gave us an overview of the history of, of Malachi. And so I'm going to do that again this morning. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes it's hard to keep all the things straight in my mind. Uh, Malachi takes place after the uh, exile and after the temple was rebuilt. Um, So I want to go all the way back to Solomon. Let's go all the way back to Solomon. Uh, Solomon, um, as he was instructed, built this temple. He led the building of this temple that was dedicated to God. And it was beautiful and amazing. And in fact, the glory of God came down and entered into this covenant physically. It was a physical representation of God dwelling among his people. But here's the thing in Israel. Things get really, really bad. Under Solomon's sons, the kingdom of Israel is split between a northern and southern kingdom. And things just keep spiraling out of control. Idol worship happens. uh, and, And it just consistently gets worse. All the way up until um, God allows the Babylonians to come in and exile uh, Judah. And they destroy this temple that was built. And then eventually Persia takes over Babylon and some of the Jews are allowed to return and rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. 
But here's something significant. The Lord does not fill the temple with his presence the way he did with the first one. And in Ezra, you can actually read an account of the elders weeping loudly because it isn't nearly what the old temple was. The glory of God isn't there. It's not even remotely close to the same thing. The ones who didn't see the original temple are celebrating all the, the mighty work that went or that took place, that God orchestrated. But the elders who saw what was and see what is now, their cries were so loud they couldn't even distinguish the cries of rejoicing and the cries of sorrow. So this is this is what we're this is what we're faced with here in Malachi. So this is much later, um, after the temple has been rebuilt, but the presence of God is not in the temple. Well, why is this important? Well, you have to keep in mind the prophetic promises um, that they would have had. You see, it was promised that exile would not be the end of their story. It was promised that God would return and enter into a new temple. And it was promised that a, a new king would come and establish a new kingdom forever. And so now the elders look at this temple and see that it isn't what the old was. And the presence of God is not filling it. And even worse, now in the time of Malachi, we have these people that have half-hearted faith. Their commitment to God is half-hearted. Their spiritual commitment to God is cynical and filled with contempt. And Malachi is actually a book of disputes. God makes a statement and the people question it. And then God sort of gets the last word um, in that. You can, you can see that in Malachi 1 verse 2. It says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? They dispute the claim that God makes. Now, John preached on this passage last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But I, I want you to sort of have this context of where things are at in history. Um, in Malachi's time, the people are filled with just this half-hearted faith. They're in the time of the second temple. God's presence isn't in the temple, which is significant. So that's where we're going to pick up today in Malachi chapter 2. So I would invite you to follow along with me. I'm going to read um, Malachi 2, and I'm going to start in verse 10 and read through verse 16. It says, Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Now, I just want to mention, look for times where covenant appears because it's significant. Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hand. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. 
You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the, um, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So the people are desecrating God's sanctuary. They are weeping at the altar asking, why don't you look at us with favor? And, and, and God is telling them, well, you're desecrating my, my sanctuary and, and flooding my altar with tears because you are being unfaithful to their mar- because they were being unfaithful to their marriage covenants. Why is that significant? Why is it so significant that, that they're being unfaithful to their marriage covenants? Well, we have to understand who God is a little bit better. You see, we serve a God of covenants. All throughout scripture, God desired to dwell with his people. And in doing that, made covenants with his children. We don't talk a lot about covenants, but we really should. Uh, Covenants are one of the most important themes in the Bible. They are key to God's redemptive plan to restore humanity to its divine calling. Starting in Genesis, God enters into one formal partnership or a covenant after another with various humans in order order to rescue his world. You see, the original covenant with Adam and Eve failed. They weren't obedient. They disobeyed. But there are some other key ones we, we need to talk about as we talk about God being a God of covenants. There's the covenant that God made with Noah. And we just talked about this a few weeks ago. God flooded the earth because of the um, unbelievable amounts of evil in the world. And he enters into a new covenant with Noah. He says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. See, God knows corruption will still exist, but the earth from now on will be a reliable place for God and humanity to work together. There is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. With Abraham. See, evil does continue to corrupt the world. And God enters into a covenant with Abraham. God's agreement with Abraham develops progressively throughout Genesis 12, 15, and 17, which we'll actually talk about in a later series. But God tells Abraham to leave his land and follow wherever he leads, to train his family to do what is right um, and just. And he, and he teaches them the practice of circumcision in every generation. And the covenant is both conditional and unconditional. God and Abraham each have a part to play in this covenant, but ultimately God will keep his promise to give Abraham a family who will inherit the land and bless the world, this promised land. There is also the Mosaic Covenant. After escaping Egypt under, under the leadership of Moses, the descendants of Abraham find themselves at Mount Sinai, and God instructed Israel to obey all the laws given at Mount Sinai. 
promising to bring blessing if they follow his commands and curses if they ignore them. In Deuteronomy 28, it says the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you an oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord, your God, and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. And then lastly, I want to talk about the Davidic covenant for a moment. God's people, they enter this promised land, they enter Canaan, and eventually demand a king, a king uh, stoking their desire to be like other nations. And already you can start to see them lose sight of the covenant that they made with God at Mount Sinai. Saul is anointed as Israel's king, but he fails to be obedient to God. So God chooses David as a king over Israel. And he becomes a successful leader, overcoming Israel's enemies and restoring order. And he wants to build God this temple. And God responds to the desire by making a covenant with David, promising to make his name great and raise up, and this is important, a descendant from David's line whose throne and kingdom will last forever. 2 Samuel 7 says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And all of these covenants sort of thematically build off of one another. And after God's covenant with David, as readers, we're sort of left to wonder, where is this promised person coming? That is supposed to restore the fractured relationship that began in the garden. For generations, Israel ignored the terms of their covenant with Yahweh. Breaking commands and living on their own definitions of good and evil. And right here in Malachi, right here, we see the very same thing. Half-hearted faith, disinterested in God... And God rebukes that harshly. So maybe you're sitting there thinking, Jeremy, I thought we were talking about marriage. Why are we talking about these biblical covenants? Like, I thought marriage was the theme of the morning. Well, it is only with a right view of God that we truly understand what he's trying to tell us here about marriage in Malachi. You see, we serve a God of covenants. And he says, you have desecrated my temple and filled my altar with tears. And, and wondering why, why don't you look at us with favor? Well, it is because I am a witness to the covenant that you have made with your wife. I stand with you at the altar and you leave the wife of your youth. In other words, God is saying, our marriage covenants matter. They are far more than vowing to make pancakes for somebody every morning. Or to be somebody's biggest cheerleader. Do you want a fresh marriage? See the vows that you made with your wife. The covenant that you entered into as more significant than you do. 
to love and to cherish your wife or your husband. To be committed to them for better or worse. Till death do your till death do you part. Stop looking at them any different. You entered into this covenant. A covenant that God was present for. And yet here we think that we are somehow superior to our spouse in any way. We look at them with contempt and half-hearted love. And it doesn't matter if you think you're more emotionally mature or further along. You're, you're not superior to them. You vowed not only to love, but to cherish them. God says in Malachi that you give me offerings that are worthless because you have desecrated my temple. Marriage is not simply a contract between two people. God says, I am a witness. I was there. It is a covenant between yourself, your spouse, and God. And the thing is, the divorce rates are staggering. And maybe you're thinking, well, Jeremy, that's, that's the world. That isn't the church. Actually, there was a study done. And the likelihood of divorce happening, if you're in the church or outside of the church, is almost identical. Like, us as Christians are not doing this any better. And the study was actually done with those that attend church regularly. This is alarming, and this should alarm us. God clearly condemns this in Malachi. And Jesus reaffirms constantly that marriage is for life. Now, maybe you're thinking, you don't understand. I'm here, and my spouse is way over here. Like, we're not even on the same page. Like, we're not, you really are suggesting that, that marriage is for life, and we have to stay together when we are just worlds apart. I think there might be a fundamental issue with your view there. I think you're seeing your marriage as something that's linear. You're here and they're here. But you have to understand that marriage is a triangle. There's you here, your spouse here, but God is here. And you're like, how, how do we draw closer? Well, if you draw closer to God, you draw closer to each other. That's the challenge. And maybe you're thinking, well, well, I'm trying to draw closer to, my, to God. But my spouse is not. Well, that doesn't really fit nicely into your equation there. Well, I want to ask you do, you, do you see the Bible as authoritative in your life? This is part of the challenge I was talking about earlier, that, that this is a difficult topic. Because the Bible is clear on it. And do you see this as authoritative in your life? Because if you do, 1 Corinthians 7 says, If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. 
And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, he must, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. This could not be any more clear for us. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you're in in, in an abusive situation that you stay. And I'm not trying to be cold or uncaring with this topic. I promise I'm not. For those of you that are in a tough, tough spot with your marriage, and statistics show that many of you are, many of you watching are, more than we even realize. I want you to know that the church loves you, that we care for you, we want you to be better, we want to help you. But most importantly, I want you to know that God loves you, that he sees you, that he cares for you, and he wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with you through this time. But here's the truth. Nobody accidentally stays faithful to their spouse. That doesn't just happen. In Malachi, we see that. It, it clearly says that, that don't be unfaithful. Be vigilant. It takes dedication and vigilance to be consistently faithful to your spouse. I talk to many older married couples, and they mention to me sometimes that the only thing sometimes throughout the years when it got difficult that held them together was the covenant that they made, the vows that they made to each other. And if it had not been for those, they might not have lasted. You see, marriage is a sacred covenant that clearly matters. The significance of which I am just scratching the surface of. I want to land here this morning. We talked about four covenants that were important, that play a significant role in history. And remember, we talked about how some of those covenants were being broken. You see, there is another covenant that was ushered in by Jesus. And this is so significant because this is a covenant that cannot be broken. And your marriage plays a role in that. A covenant that cannot be broken. And Malachi 3.1 hints at this um, hints at this new 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 thing. And I, I just want to read it for you. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking. And this is where suspense is sort of building. This is getting really important and big. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Remember, we said the temple was empty. It wasn't the same. And the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Well, who is the one who came to the temple? What was Jesus Christ? He was the one, the messenger that John the Baptist prepared the way for. He is the one that came and set up a new covenant with his shed blood on the cross, through him rising again from the grave, Emmanuel, the God 
with us. This is what they were waiting for. The temple was empty. The presence of God was not there. And here it's prophesied that he is coming. Through him, through his blood, he establishes a new covenant. A covenant that cannot be broken. Um, Just read this in Luke 22, starting in verse 19. It says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in verse 20, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for who? Poured out for you. Poured out for me. Poured out for your spouse and your brothers and sisters and your parents and your friends. This is the new covenant to restore restore the world back to its intended place that God intended. See, if we turn from our ways and confess our sin and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we can be part of this new covenant that promises freedom from sin. A new way of doing life and being a part of a new and different kingdom. And the gospel impacts families and the gospel impacts your marriage. You see, your marriage is a very picture of this covenant. This unbreakable covenant. How can you break an unbreakable covenant? The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing Uh, by the washing water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without blemish, stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. The Bible also says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do with the Lord. For the man is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. This is what you represent in your marriage. As the people of Israel were a vehicle to drive this message to the world of a God that seeks to dwell with His people, your marriage is the very vehicle that drives this this new kingdom, this new representative kingdom of God being the head, Jesus being the head of the church, and loving His bride. That is what your marriage represents, this unbreakable covenant. So, so how can divorce come in to that picture? It's an unbreakable covenant. Did you know that even your wedding is representa- rep- representative and symbolic of a great wedding that is to come? The wedding supper of the Lamb, when the church and Jesus Christ will be together through the power of grace. And the new covenant that was made through Christ and His shed blood. Our marriage 
represents this unbreakable covenant. Do you want a fresh marriage? Submit to Christ. Are you like the people of Malachi? Half-heartedly pursuing God, cynical in your faith or cynical in your marriage. Jesus has come. He is with us and He has fulfilled His covenant. And He has bought you with a price. Pursue Him in your marriage. Pursue Him in your singleness. And pursue Him in your youth. Pursue Him always. Are you tired of a stagnant relationship with Him? Do you want fresh faith? Pursue Him. Pursue Him always. Let's pray. Father, thank you for marriage. But Father, thank you that you came, that you loved us, that you established a new covenant through the shedding of your blood on a cross, that you overcame death and rose from the grave. Father, we cling to that promise that if we place our faith in you, you can restore us. Father, we look to you in our marriage and I pray that if we're experiencing difficulty out there, for anybody out there experiencing difficulty, that you would intercede in that marriage. That you would help them draw close to you as they draw near to each other. Father, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And we pray this in your son's precious and holy and matchless name. Amen. A couple announcements for us this morning. Um, just as we sort of look ahead to this Easter time, uh, we have a uh, Good Friday service that we will be actually participating in at the Perry Reese uh, Center, and that is on Good Friday. And everyone is invited to come and worship at that event. Um, it is just an, an, a great opportunity for us uh, to do to participate with a bunch of other churches unified to worship the Lord. Another thing is a sunrise service that is coming up uh, that we're also uh, participating in with the Fredericksburg community at the, uh, the East Cemetery in Fredericksburg. Um, everyone is invited to come to that for an early morning of worship at 6.45 a.m. Um, and to see the beauty of God's creation and worship together and, and, and hear, um, hear a blessing during that time. And lastly, we have a Sunday school shuffle coming up. Um, and uh, sign-ups are in core group rooms, and uh, we have uh, sign-ups at, at the Connection Center as well. So if you're new with us, we'd love for you to connect with that as well. I did forget to mention we have baptisms coming up too. So if you are interested in being baptized, um, contact the church office, and we will, um, we will get you signed up for that. All right, well, thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you have a blessed day.